Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Thursday, March 4th. 2021. This is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to all old and new listeners of the show. We got a packed version of the Mike Abadir show today. A lot to talk about. Got some great guests. Going to have a new co-host for the day, uh, as well as Gino. And so let's get things started with our interim co-host, if you will. We had him on a couple of weeks ago, the primetime capper, Pop DiBiase. What is up, Pop? What's going on, Mike? What's up? What's up? I hope everybody's feeling good, feeling great. I'm glad that you brought me in and everything today, and I look forward to talking about uh, the world of sports with you. I'm glad that um, you brought me in today. I had you on my show the other day, so yep, let's just keep it going. Let's keep it on flowing. Always a pleasure to have you on, and always a pleasure to talk to you. So we um, just to set the table for today's show, we're going to talk about a punter. It's very rare that we talk about a punter, but he's, I mean, let's face it, he's important to me because he's, you know, half of the, or a third of the trio uh, of the special teams unit, of which includes one of my NFL clients, Zach Wood, long snapper. So we'll talk a little bit about Thomas Morstead. Because he's really more than just a punter, more than just a football player. Very, very beloved athlete in the state of Louisiana, in New Orleans in particular. He's a very popular Saints player. So we'll talk to Nick Underhill, who is the beat writer for the Saints and covers the Saints and has done so for for many, many years. And we'll get his take on what makes him so popular in that area. We'll also talk a little bit of baseball, National League Central Division. We covered the NL East last week, very competitive division. NL Central's competitive, but in a very different way than the East. So we'll get into that a little bit and also cover some of the headlines from today and this week, including Big Ben resigning with the Steelers. What does that mean for the quarterback shuffle? A couple of releases already mentioned. Uh, Thomas Morstead was released by the Saints. Golden Tate, released by the New York Giants. Uh, what does that all mean for those teams? Will they be picked up elsewhere? Uh, and we'll also talk a little bit of baseball. Uh, beyond just the NL Central, the Central, well, within the Central, I should say, got a little bit stronger with an unheralded, underrated player in Jackie Bradley Jr., who just signed with the Brewers. I think that's a very big loss for the Red Sox. And uh, as, a, as a Red Sox fan, I'm sad to see him go. He's got a great, great glove. And so I think that the Brewers uh, have themselves a really, really nice pickup. So those are the topics for today. But, Pop, let's get right to it and bring on our first guest. He's been on with us many, many times. For the Saints fans that listen to us, he's probably one of the favorite guests that we bring on, uh, and I'm talking, of course, about Nick Underhill from New Orleans Football. Nick, you're on with Mike and Pop this week. How are you? 
Hey, I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Uh, great, thank you for great. joining us. Uh, kind of a last minute uh, uh, interview, but the reason for so is, is kind of a last minute or just a recent from earlier today, the news about Thomas Morstead. And we figured who better than you, who covers the Saints very intimately, to bring on and talk about Thomas Morstead. And, you know, it's, as I was mentioning at the very top of the show, it's very rare that we talk about an NFL punter or feature him at the top of a radio show. Uh, but as I mentioned, he's a part of the trio with one of my special teams clients, Zach Wood, long snapper. And, but beyond that, why is he such a popular player, both in the locker room and maybe even more so explain why the Saints fans love him so much? Well, yeah, I think, well, first in the locker room, he's just kind of a pillar for that team. And I think that, alongside Breeze, him and Morstead. And it's, it's weird to talk about a, a punter in this way, but he's, he's not your normal replaceable punter. He's, he's become a pillar of that team. He's one of the, the last remaining guys from the Super Bowl team. And just the example that, that him and Breeze set, I think that they're very routine-oriented. They work extremely hard, the attention to detail. And I think from those two guys, that stuff kind of permeated throughout and People will just watch the way they work, the way they went about things. And that example became part of the identity of the Saints. And, look, I mean, Thomas is gone today. I think we can probably expect Breeze to be, you know, coming soon, uh, the announcement of that retirement. So they're going to lose that. And, you know, that, that's that's going to be a big adjustment for this team. But then also, you know, you, you mentioned it, his connection with the city, his, his connection with the region, It's it's rare. And he's a guy that just really integrated himself just within this community beyond football, you know, just being out there in it, it's a, it's a place where, you know, in this city, if you embrace New Orleans, like New Orleans just wants people that want to live in New Orleans. And he's a guy that, that wants to be here. And, you know, I just think that connection and he kind of, you know, very early on, you know, through social media, other means, like he kind of lowered that barrier and just kind of became like a guy that was out and around town and, you know, people responded to that, and he became a face of this franchise. And, look, it helps as a rookie. He had the, the ambush onside kick in the Super Bowl mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But, you know, just really a, a beacon of consistency. I think for the better part of 15 years, he was probably one of the two or three best punters in the NFL annually. And, you know, it, they just really embraced this guy. And losing him is, you know, this side of Breeze, it's, it's, it feels like a huge loss for, uh, for this fan base. Now, is it due to him being on this roster when um, they won the Super Bowl and um, everything like that? And also, do you think possibly they'll bring him back on a cheaper deal? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, him being part of the Super Bowl team and all that stuff is definitely a huge part of it. And, like, that, that onside kick, you know, coming out in the second half against Indianapolis uh, in the 2009 Super Bowl, I mean, that kind of catapulted him to it. So having an iconic moment, you know, it, it, it definitely helps a lot. You know, that's... That's how Adam Vinatieri becomes Adam Vinatieri and a punter becomes, you know, a superstar punter. You know, you kind of got to meet those moments and, and be that guy. Um, as far as coming back, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, you know, they, they didn't really have any any interest in lowering his, his salary figure. He was, I believe, at $4.5 million, um, which made him the highest paid punter in the league. And last year he just, he didn't, you know, by his own admission, didn't play up to that. And, you know, there were some injuries. He had a back injury uh his eyes started to go on him, and he had some issues, 
you know, getting the right prescription and getting comfortable with the prescription. And, you know, on some of the spots, I, I think you saw that. Uh, Will Lutz, he, he, I think he missed four field goals last year. And if you look at him, two of them, you know, he's, he's hitting the laces and the spot was bad. And that's probably, you know, a result of not being able to, to see as clearly and sharply as, as you used to be able to. But, yeah, I think they're going to move on uh, to this guy, Blake Gillikin. They kept him on the team last year. Rookie punter out of Penn State. He has he's tied in with you know Darren Rizzi and and uh, their other special teams coach. Both those guys were at Penn State at a time, and you know they kind of stashed him on on injured reserve. And Morstead, to his credit, kind of knowing hey like they're keeping this other punter around, and this is probably the end of of my road. He still you know took him in and and taught him and showed him the way he did things and mentored him you know the best he could. And there's two ways to go about that. Some guys keep their competition as far away as possible and you know other guys kind of feel like you know hey i'm gonna help this guy and whatever happens happens and look i mean i think blake's taking his job now um he's gonna be a little bit cheaper and morstead does want to continue his career but i i think he's gonna have to go somewhere else to do that i was just gonna ask you if you had any uh, thoughts about possible landing spots for him um i know this is just today's news so Doubt the rumor mills is circulated to that extent, but any quick thoughts, uh, guesses, anything like that? Well, I, I don't really know exact locations, but I, I think he should get an opportunity to to do it if he does get healthy, his eyes get right, and you know he says he he's figured all those things out. I still think that he's one of the you know top whatever punters in the league. There, there's only so many of those guys that are actually good, and I think he's still within that group of people. It's just probably not at you know four million four and a half million dollars like he might have to go somewhere and play for you know a million bucks or two and you know just get paid like a guy that's maybe the 16th best punter instead of the number one punter and maybe he proves himself and he gets back to that level but i think he should get an opportunity um if you don't have a you know a superstar punter or or someone that's super entrenched i I think that you know he'll have some options and you know i i I do believe that he's going to figure it out and probably be a little bit better than he was last year you know i'll tell you guys it really is a luxury to have your kicking team well-established for many years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at least they caught the first portion of Lutz's career and the tail end of Morstead's career. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Shane Leckler and uh, uh, Danikowski over with the Raiders. You know, for a good 10, 15 years, that position was, was solidified. The special teams units for the Saints has been good. On the kicking side, uh, even on the, uh, the you know the return units, etc. This is going to be a, a a loss because of the personality. Tell us a little bit about last year's rookie that they kept on the roster, and will there be a loss on the football field in the punting game? Yeah. So, see, the thing is, is like early in camp. I think that it was it was pretty easy to see even then that that Gillikin was putting some pressure on him. Like he he was hanging some punts over five seconds, and you know that's that's a long time. And Morstead just I don't know like he he had a back injury the whole off season. He didn't get to work out the same way, and you kind of saw it right away that that something was was amiss. And this other guy was out kicking him. Come to find out, it is due to the injury. But you know, I. It, I hate to say, but like more said, just he, he didn't play up to his level last year. So like, as far as on the field, I don't know that it's going to feel like it was a loss because it already felt like there was a step back last year. And again, if he gets healthy, his eyes are right. He, he might take that step forward. 
but you know, I I think there's room for improvement over last year, and I think part of that too, though, is is also keeping their you know special teams gunners in place. And they sign one JT Gray. If they can keep Justin Hardy, they bring in the rookie punter. I you know I think they can at least still be top ten net, which they were last year. But I think that can push up a little bit higher with you know those punts hanging a little bit longer. These guys getting down the field. Um, in the locker room, it's going to be a hit. They're going to have to find a way to replace that leadership. But, you know, I think the Saints overall are in a little bit of a, a spot of transition. So having more stuff would have helped with that a little bit. But, I, you know, they're going to have to find a way to, to figure out who they are and form a new identity post-Breeze, post-Morstead. And really, it's kind of this is the end of that Super Bowl era. Any remnants of it, except for the head coach, are, are basically gone now. So, okay. And, uh, before we... Oh, jump and, in, Bob. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, and real quick, do you think moving forward with this, uh, with the new punter and everything like that, will they be able to? Um, will this somewhat make the the defense even even better? Um, in a sense, since you said that, you know, he's out kicking more set and everything like that. Do you think that because you know punting is uh, you know pretty much the key to kicking off your defense? So, do you think that? He's already uh, established himself somewhat with this defensive group as well, too. Yeah, I, I think it'll it'll definitely help him a little bit. Uh, you know, better field position for sure. And, and they're going to be at a point now. You know, that they aren't going to have. You know, they're going to be Jameis Winston or, or somebody else probably a quarterback, and the margin for error is going to change a little bit. So, yeah, I, I think that's definitely uh, something that's going to help the team overall. And you know, it, it's just if they can flip the field a little bit better than they did last year, some of those. Punts in the in the playoff game against Tampa Bay, you know they they just weren't they're hitting at the twenty one instead of the eleven. You know it's just that little bit of difference, and you know I, I think that all does factor in. And when you are leaning on your defense, the more field there is for the offense to go. I mean it, it, it's going to help. So yeah, definitely I I think that's that's a good point, and that is a spot that you know overall they're going to have to get better in the other two units probably to help the offense out a little bit. Hey, Nick, before we let you go, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a little bit about uh, a name that you just uh, mentioned a few moments ago, which is Jameis Winston. It seems to me like what I'm hearing from Saints camp, what's been discussed in the media, um, and perhaps what you've even tweeted about and written about, is that Taysom Hill was the best fit to start games last year, but that Jameis Winston is the quarterback of the future. What do you make of all that, and is that just kind of the Saints posturing in case they decide to make Jameis the go-to quarterback for the future, or, you know, what do you make of all that? So, yeah, I, I, I do think that they would like to have Jameis be the guy. I You know, right now, my sense of it is is that the, the negotiation between the two sides is, is just kind of like a little bit flat, that Saints have their value, Jameis has their value, and, you know, there's there's no leverage. Mike, you, you probably know this. Well, you definitely know this better than me. But if nobody has any leverage, it, it's hard for anyone to, to make any movement. And it's hard to get a deal done. And, you know, Jameis is sitting there going, hey, like, you don't have anybody else. And the Saints are going, hey, you need us. You don't have anybody else. And, you know, I, I think that it probably is, is going to need to be stimulated a little bit by the market, some other outside interest. And then there you get a bit of le- somebody gets a little bit of leverage and, then you get some movement. Maybe there's a deal, but look, the, the thing with the Saints is they they always have a plan B. They got a plan C, and we've seen that play out. Mark Ingram overplays his hand, and Latavius Murray becomes a Saint. Von Bell overplays his hand, 
Malcolm Jenkins becomes a saint. So, you know, it, it will be interesting to see how this plays out because, you know, all of a sudden if Carolina makes a trade for a quarterback and Teddy becomes available and things are difficult with Jameis, what happens? So I don't think that – I would necessarily say that Jameis is 100% the quarterback of the future. I think they'd like him back. I think they like him a lot. And I think he's plan A, but I think they'd be okay going another direction if they had to. Um, as far as Taysom, it kind of feels like that's maybe not going to be, uh, you know, the, the quote-unquote Steve Young that they talked about for a while. I, I don't think that's, you know, going to be the case. He, he did well. I think they could probably win games with him. But it feels like maybe the, the experiment last year didn't quite go uh, as hoped in their it just feels like they're looking uh, other directions right now. Makes sense to me, Nick. As always, really appreciate you coming on, especially last second notice. And uh, you know, the uh, the trio is is getting together one last time for Will Lutz's uh, bachelor party. Uh, they're they're flying in or half flowing into Florida already. So maybe uh, maybe they'll have one more celebratory round uh, before. <laughs> before the tenure ends. If I hear anything juicy, I'll definitely let you know, Nick. (laughs) You gotta (laughs) let me know, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hey, be safe, Nick. Thank you so much for joining us. Yep. That's Nick Underhill, NewOrleans.Football. Check them out. If you're a Saints fan, they do great work. Nick does great work. He's a great Twitter follow as well. Let's take our first commercial break, Pop. We'll break down the National League Central on the other side. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession, fashion, and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. You know, before we uh, move on to baseball, Pop, I thought you, you raised a really interesting point, and it's an underrated one. It's under-discussed when it comes to football, and I really believe that it makes the difference between wins and losses. And I'm sure there's some analytics formula out there that can kind of quantify it better than I'm going to kind of resummarize it. But an aspect of your defense is your punting game. Now, it's called the special teams unit, but really the first play of your defense starts with a punter. You know, he's got an impact as to where the defense lines up. I mean, that's a big, big thing. And kind of like I was mentioning, Pop, I love the tandem of Janikowski and Shane Leckler with the Raiders. They didn't have to worry about the kicking game for like 15 years, man. Right, exactly. Because you knew that you had Janikowski who could hit from 63, and you had a punter who could punt maybe at his best. I think he hit 69, Leckler. And this went on for a decade, too, as well. So pretty much the Raiders were always in a key position when it came down to kicking. So that's why the Raiders were able to win so many games late, especially even even in bad years where they were winning games late and everybody would be like, whoa, they got to the 40, they got to the 37 and Janikowski would be, and it, the craziest part about Janikowski was is this. Janikowski struggled a lot his rookie year, right? And then they got down to, it was the final game of the season, they had to get to playoffs, blah, 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 blah. And they hadn't won in Kansas City forever. He goes out there and literally has, and literally, really, most confident-looking kicker I've ever seen for a guy who was, who's been struggling and goes out there and booms a 59-yard winner. Not just a kick that halftime, a 59-yard winner in KC. And I'm talking about, you know, Arrowhead, loud, crazy. And, man, I'm still, I'm still in awe about that situation as well, too. So the kicking game is something that's beautiful. And peep this before we move on. Pop Warner, that was his favorite play was the punt because he says the punt is going to dictate everything that my defense is going to do. And we have to get the stop. We have to make sure the ball is in, the, in this area right here so then we can go ahead and have this defense take care of their business. So pretty much you, you, you hit it right on top of the head. That, that used to be Jim, and that's Jim Trust was, was Jim Trust's favorite play as well, too. He couldn't have a bad punter at Ohio State. And if you look at it, Ohio State didn't have a bad punter one time under Jimmy Trustful. So pretty much the punter can't make or break uh, a defense. They truly can that long punt that Pop was talking about. If you, I just pulled it up. If you look on YouTube, uh, if you just type in uh, Leckler, it looks here, at least whoever entered this on uh, YouTube claims it's a 71-yarder. And that was uh, October 20th against Kansas City. And there's another YouTube one headlined 80-yard punt. I suspect if that was the case, that's probably because there was a lot of it got the best bounce in NFL history and kept going back and back and back. And uh, maybe, you know, the returner kind of got away uh, so that nobody accidentally touches it and cleared everybody out. Uh, but either way, man, 
when you don't have to worry about yeah. those two positions on the football field, it's really, really big, man. So, and that's the reason that we spent a little bit of time talking about uh, Thomas Morstead and what he meant to the Saints. We don't talk about punters very often, probably, you know, only when they cost the team a game, really, is the only time that you ever hear their name come up. Uh, you don't hear about a punter who's got a really good game of a 48-yard average or something like that. So I salute Thomas Morstead. He's been very good to my client, Zach Wood. Took him under his wings, really showed him the ropes when uh, Zach was uh, on the Saints uh, for a Monday night football game as his first career game on the road against the Minnesota Vikings. So I will personally never forget that. Now, Mm. let's talk about the National League Central. Started off the show talking about signing in Jackie Bradley Jr. This guy's a gold glove type of center fielder. And his hitting has been really streaky, Pop. But if you remember, I believe his rookie season or his second season, he had like a 30-game hitting streak. He's broken the 20 home run mark. The guy could steal bases. But it seems like he has a hard time kind of putting it all together for a really killer season. Uh, but but I'm, I'm rooting for him in Milwaukee. I think this is a pretty good signing. Um, I have to agree because I think that with – Milwaukee, he'll get a little bit more face time. He'll be a little bit, he'll be seen for a little bit more importance than he was uh, with the Red Sox. Because the Red Sox, I weren't they platooning him for a little bit as well too um, over there. So pretty much, I think he'll be an everyday player over in um, with Milwaukee, and he brings a championship ring with him as well too. So if he approaches the game like Mookie does. Then this is going to be something huge for the uh, for the Brewers moving forward because I feel like anybody who played for that 2018 Red Sox team, they they bring a special trait with them that most don't have the 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 champions approach to the game, and I think that's exactly what Milwaukee's looking for in a player like this. And I think Milwaukee, at the end of the day, knows that they can compete and they can win this division. Which is really for really theirs for the taking, in a sense, in my opinion as well. Because I only look at three teams in that division right now. I can only think of three teams that can win that division, and Milwaukee's one of them. So I think Jackie Bradley going to the Brewers is an absolutely great deal for him. It's going to give him a little bit. It's going to take a little bit of pressure off him as well too. Being a Red Sox, being a Yankee, being a Dodger, there's pressure behind that as well too. And when you stop performing or when you're a little inconsistent. It's always good to go to the next place and you know get that get that bit of pressure off your back a little bit, and then I think that will help you play a little bit better as well too. Great analysis there, Pop. Let's talk about this division. Then we started with Milwaukee with uh, the big signing, or to me, it's a big signing at least, Jackie Bradley Jr. And uh, one thing about Milwaukee is that they get another really good player come back this year. They didn't have him last year because he sat out due to COVID, which is Lorenzo Cain. And he's also mm-hmm. a terrific fielder and a, uh, got a good stick, could swipe some bags. And then the left fielder is Christian Yelich. And so Yelich was an MVP type of player for, what, two, three years in a row. Great signing or trade I believe, from the Marlins uh, for the Brewers a couple of years ago, elevated them to a back-to-back playoff team. This team is kind of retooling a little bit. Of course, they got 
the the closer with the nasty nasty fastball and can really change things up. Josh Hader. I'm a little bit concerned though about their starting rotation. Is this a division winning type of starting rotation? Or are they going to do kind of what seems to be the theme when we've talked baseball pop, which is outscore your opponent by scoring in bunches? Well, we all know that they did the they they worked the same situation out that the Rays had success with, bringing the bringing a middle reliever to start the game, having pitch an inning or two, then bring your actual starter in to the pitch three, four, five, six innings. Uh, so pretty much I say to myself, I look at this and I say, okay, I, I'm totally on the same page as you. The Brewers have to get some pitching. And for them to win this division, they have to, they have to be able to get consistent pitching. And I think that they have to make sure that they solidify who their ace is. If they, you know, they, they can switch it up. They can have different strategies, things of that nature. But they have to solidify who the ace is going to be this year. And that ace is going to have to be, to me, the most dominant force that they have on the pitching mound this year is some a go-to, somebody that they know that, okay, when he gets on the mound, he's only going to give up two or three runs. So that means this is our day to get our, get as many runs as possible for this guy. You but know? here's so the thing, Pop. Here's, here's the thing. You're talking about the ace, and I agree with you. I mean, the closest thing that Milwaukee has to an ace is Brandon Woodruff. Uh, I like right. him a lot. I think he's a really good pitcher. I don't know if he would be considered a number one on most teams or not. My answer is no. Uh, but he did emerge, and perhaps he's still getting better. He's young. Uh, I'm not sure that they have an ace. Gino Bacola is with us. What, what say you about the Milwaukee Brewers? What are your thoughts about them? As I mentioned, kind of at the top, they signed Jackie Bradley Jr. They get Lorenzo Cain back, who didn't play because of covid Sat out last year. They got their MVP, Kristen Yelich. Uh, Keston, I can't even pronounce his last name, Hiura, who is a uh, local uh, guy from uh, near kind of uh, a Magic Mountain area. Um, our, one of our, our friends, Eddie, listens to the show, kind of his neck of the woods. Um, Colton Wong and Nar- Narvaez, the, the catcher. I mean, they've got a good lineup, but the pitching, I don't know. What do you think, Gino? Yeah, that, that's just like you said. Woodruff is probably like a two-three. I actually like him quite a bit. He he's actually a really good hitter too, so he's probably happy that yes. they're going to be uh, still able to get some pitchers hitting. So that does actually give him a little bit of value as far as like you know staying longer into games and stuff like that. Probably a, a good fantasy guy because he'll probably they'll try. He's probably the one of the guys on their team that they'll try to eat a lot of innings out of. The concern I have with a team like them is they were sort of well set up for. A shortened season because what they're trying to do with their pitching, they can they can do that for a week, two weeks, a month sometimes, but it's really hard to try to sort of patchwork an entire rotation together for a full year. You have to have like the Tampa Bay type of ridiculous arms, but even the Rays have shown that the last few years they actually have three or four starters that they let go like starters. And then they'll kind of patchwork one or two other games of the week and, and have the bullpen game. And um, they, maybe they don't let their starters go into the eighth all the time, but they actually let them go five or six and, and get a bulk up. At, so I just, I worry about that with the Brewers. And I, I love talking about this division because when you look at, 
some of the projections you look at um like the win totals and over unders and where teams are supposed to stack up they're all always supposed to be really close to each other like the brewers the car uh, brewers cards um uh they're all within just a few games of each other projected again so that that's just a, the reds are just slightly behind them um and the cubs are like right behind them they're all literally supposed to be right at the 500 or just above 500 ish so a really contentious central pop well, you mentioned that you thought that there was three teams that could win the division so the brewers are, are one of them who are the other two well, it's almost the usual suspects: the Hatfields and the McCoys, the Cubs and the Cardinals. So you don't include the, you don't include the Reds in that in that mix, then. The Reds losing Bauer was so. Big. I knew that. I know that. I know that they couldn't afford him. I know that they were already going to walk off from him and everything like that. But I just don't know. I just didn't like the way that they performed in the uh, playoffs last year, and I think that or if they you mean we didn't would have had a longer season, <laughs> huh? You mean didn't perform in the playoffs? <laughs> yeah, yeah, didn't perform, dude, because they lost me money that first game. I thought yeah, that, you know, the Reds no showed. Right, you no showed. You didn't do anything. You got – I couldn't believe it. I've never seen so many times a team have the bases loaded and not be able to get anybody home. And I'm talking about you don't even have outs. You're up there on zero outs, and it's just, it just was poor management. It was – like, you're a little too overexcited about, you know, being here. And you kind of know that you don't really belong here. That's the whole thing because it was pretty much the charity season, in a sense, in my opinion, with the shortened year. So the Reds are going to have to show me something in the um, in the hidden category. But we all know the Pirates are building them. The Pirates will probably be built up in the next two to three years. But I think at the end of the day, though, you, you can't ever uh, discount the Hatfields and the McCoys, as I said before. The Cubs and the Cards, and then the Brewers. I feel like they have the strongest lineup, simply because who they have in those lineups as well, too. And then you know Chicago, they are the tradition. You know the Cubs. You know we know who they are. We know that the Cubs have. They think they have the top tier hitters, the top tier uh, pitching, all that good stuff. But they know exactly what they need to do as well, too, because they didn't look great in the playoffs last year either. And they did get rid of, the, you know, those those old men who were on the team. So I think that the Cubs, it all depends on starts with the Cubs. If the Cubs can get off to a good start, then they should have a good season. We know the, we all know the Cubs. The Cubs is always going to be the Cubs. If they get off to a great start, hey, they possibly playoff. But if they get off to a bad start, then it's like, well, you know, they might finish third. So, Let's take a look at that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That. Let's take a look at the Cubs real quickly. The uh, they they got Jock Peterson. That's probably one of their bigger signing. They bring back Jake Arrieta, uh, Zach Davies, who's a good pitcher from the Brewers. They had a rookie emerge, pitch really well in Alec Mills, and then um, Al- Adbert Alzole, I believe, has been a prospect for them for a while. He's probably going to be the fifth starter. The number one is Kyle Hendricks. They got a really good relief pitcher in Rowan Wick. I like the guy a lot. And they went out and got Brandon Workman from Boston, who had a really terrific season. I think the pitching rotation is okay. Definitely feel that it's better than the Brewers. It's probably going to come down to how many games does Craig Kimbrell blow? How many ninth inning opportunities were there ahead that he blows? Does he find the old form? 
I think that's that's a big, big question mark to me, Gino. The other one is Javier Baez. Does he find his old form? He says he's got reasons for why he was playing so poorly in the strike-shortened season. He blamed it on the short season that it takes him a while to get going. But to me, those are the two wild cards, G. Yeah, I, I don't... I, they, they should be a little better than last year just based on the fact that they have on paper, a better bullpen, just like a little more depth, a few more options there. Um, and like you said, it'll, it'll come down to Kimbrel, but it feels like if he feels like this year, at least if he doesn't perform well, like I think if wick is healthy and in workman, like those are at least decent options to go to. If you had to for a closer, they can get saves for sure. Yeah. They feel, they feel better set up this year than maybe they have in, in past. It's just, you know, they've, they've got the same nucleus they've really had for a while with Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, um, you know, those three will be the real key. Um, and, and, and then, you know, Jock, can he be someone that, that maybe gets more at bats here and, and, uh, shows that he can do okay against left-handed pitching. Uh, do they get a little more help? I feel like their outfield's a little weak. They need, you know, Hap and then Hayward to give them some production, but yeah, I, I don't love them. If you told me that they were going to be right in contention for the division, it wouldn't shock me, but I don't, I don't think they... It, like improved a, a whole heck of a lot last year, but it does feel like a lot of the teams in the division around them didn't really get a whole ton better. They just all sort of kind of stayed the same. Yeah, I guess if there maybe could be Agreed. one more wild card. I really like what I'm hearing out of Jock Peterson. He's really he's really approaching this season like he's got something to prove in that. He, and he hasn't slighted the Dodgers in any way or something like that. But you could just kind of tell that he feels that. He has the skill set and the ability to be an everyday player and that he's not just a guy that you look for situational hitting, you know, uh, being a left-handed hitter and he could only, you know, face pitchers uh, every two to three days instead of being an everyday player. He wants to go change minds on that. And I think if he's able to do that, I think that the uh, Cubs are going to be getting 35 home runs. Uh, I don't think that's overly optimistic because this guy's got some serious, serious pop to his stick. Let's take a really quick timeout. We'll come back on the other side, see if we've got anything to add to that Reds lineup that was anemic last year. Pop mentioned the Pirates rebuild. So the McCoys, I guess, would be the ones, the one that remains, the St. Louis Cardinals. We'll also quickly take a look at what's going on with Golden Gate Field's Really crazy situation. If any of you guys out there have not heard about it yet, it's happening in real time, live. We'll get Gino's thoughts on that as he is well connected in the horse racing industry, as is Pop. Stay with us. More of the Mike Abadir Show right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. 
Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's, 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 today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Closing up here on the Mike Abadir Show with Pop with Mike Abadir and uh, talking a little baseball right now. But we were talking during the break, Mike, about the situation up at Golden Gate. I uh, sort of similar to you, handicapped Golden Gate, talked about it on my show, covered it. I was putting in a couple stable duel contests they had today. Uh, and I was doing an interview earlier and I sort of looked around and realized that I, you know, the bets that I put in hadn't. <laughs> hadn't gone. I was like, You're like Reese. One hasn't on? gone off yet. What the and hell? I, I started looking more into it and looking around and everything. And so there were pictures of people that were protesters actually chained to each other, laying on the racetrack. They formed like a star or something, right? Yeah. I mean, so for, for those who haven't heard the news, Gino just kind of uh, mentioned that protesters, I, I guess, trespassed. Uh, I don't think that even Golden Gate is. is uh, opening their doors to um, live viewers or live, you know, customers yet. I don't think. I'm not sure about that. So either they bought a ticket and went in and did this, or more likely, I'm guessing that they trespassed, went onto the actual racetrack, and uh, probably at where you know the half mile mark or something, and laid down. I don't know how many people, five, six people, kind of chained themselves into like a star or some kind of circle that extends out, uh, you know, like spokes, if you will, like bike spokes. And um, they're not getting off. And I I don't know how these guys haven't been arrested, guys. Um, You know, once again, I I find myself saying this very often, which is we don't like to get too political on the show. But I think a lot of this has to do with uh, politicians really, really opening the door to uh, protesting utilizing any method that you want or cool with it. On top of that, decriminalizing a lot of potential crimes or misdemeanors or whatever. Oh, we're not going to prosecute for those anymore. So now it's kind of like you can trespass and do whatever you want because you know you're not really going to get anything more than being scolded like a like a kid and not have anything on your record. So, I mean, it's kind of a tough situation because it also affects the COVID testing center. Yeah. Yeah, which is really true. It was with the super needed right now, and uh, I still just don't understand how you how six people can get in. Only people who can get into the track are the uh, owners and trainers, people who are certified to be there. You know what I mean? And pretty much it's just it befuddles me that they're still just letting them just sit sit right out there on a racetrack 
knowing that these people aren't even supposed to be in the facility like that. You know what I mean? If they got the cover thing going outside, that's different. But, you know, come on. You know, but I'm, I'm with you, Mike. I'm just thinking that they're just, they're just trying to just be on the safe side of things, I'm guessing, you know? I guess so. I guess so. I mean, if if I was running the show over there, the cops would be there, and um, you know, I, I would get these guys removed from the premises. Hey, you guys are stopping the show. There's a lot yeah, of people that are affected by this. A lot of lives. Happened. What's that? I, I don't know if that's happened or not, though. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know more about what's been going on. About what? Like, I think it's one of those things where they may have called it. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, we'll, we'll probably but find if, out more. If it, if it, but I would think if it did happen, do you know that? We'd be racing right now, right? I, I mean, if the cops were called, uh, I mean, once again, we've seen that cops can be very physical uh, with with people. Yeah, that's um, the whole thing. So it's hard to just kind of speculate because we'll probably find out more about if they were if nobody's been contacted to come out. That that, that doesn't really make any sense. Like, if any business that you're at, if somebody comes in and, and even if they're peacefully protesting, you want you're going to call authorities and let them know that like you're not able to conduct your business because they're there. You know, it's one thing to peacefully protest out in front of a place where we see people doing all the time. It's a different thing when you're out on the track and you're actually impeding them from doing like from com- you know completing their business and doing that you know doing what they're supposed to. So. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think if we find out that no, nobody was called, then then obviously we'll probably say why, and, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. And if if not, maybe I I don't know if it was just a thing that they were already so backed up that they decided. I I don't know. You know, it's hard because we just don't. It, what's what stinks about this is unfortunately we're not getting very much information about no i went to matt dinnerman's account i went to golden gates they're not really saying much at all we're not getting like reports about it i I don't think i I haven't really been watching tvg much throughout the day so i don't know if they were reporting or other places like the only thing that we saw was that like link from some of the news stations really yeah no 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 doubt, doubt about that but i'll leave you guys with this and we'll get back to baseball all i know is that if something happens on a football field what do we see Somebody runs out onto the football field, baseball field. They are tackled and are seeing stars. All right. They're tackled like a linebacker hitting a running back who is looking the other way. So don't tell me that cops shouldn't get physical with people uh, in this situation. I'm not saying kill them. I'm not saying get out a gun. But, I mean, these guys should be forcibly removed from the premises on the back of any ticket at a sporting event or whatnot, there are rules, and there's implicit and implied rules. And as you enter Golden Gate Field, there's a sign there that I know for sure. You can't go on to the racetrack, guys. This is a bunch of hogwash, and these guys need to be removed from the premises. I think this is unacceptable. I think there are other methods for protest which are perfectly acceptable. This is not one of them. All right, I'm off my soapbox, guys. Let's talk about another poor performance, this time on the baseball field, Cincinnati Reds. You guys talked about that extra inning. If you want to call it a classic, I don't know. It, the hitting was too poor and with runners in scoring position, like Pop said, to even call it a classic. Pitching-wise, it was a pitcher's duel for sure. Um, I'm just not seeing that the lineup got any better, guys. No, and they, they're lacking a little on their starting pitching. And so if that was the thing that had to carry them through, again, like, 
we got to remember there were a couple teams that I do think really did benefit from the shortened season, and they were probably another one of them because they have very good starting pitching. They were able to get a lot of meaningful innings from those top-of-the-line pitchers, and now you remove one of those top-of-the-line pitchers. Your offense was extremely weak and and very, very hot and cold in the type that would have games where they'd hit a lot of home runs, but then they would go ice cold for a long time i there that's the one thing why i'm so interested in the nl central is because everybody's pretty flawed here you know we're talking about all these teams that are all solid to average to above average teams but they're pretty flawed if we wouldn't be shocked to see four of these teams like above 500 i think the pirates are still on the rebuilding process but the other four teams any one of of them could win the division. I think anyone could sort of drop back and have a struggle, but you'd imagine like a group of at least three of them are going to be in the mix there. And uh, I don't know who of these teams really got all that much better. Pop, you'd mentioned that they lost Bauer. So that's a wage, you know, that they got worse. Um, You're talking also about aces. Luis Castillo, in my mind, he solidified himself as an ace number one type of pitcher. Uh, And then they got Sonny Gray. What 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 do you make of the top of the rotation? Well, the top of the rotation can go with it. It could be the biggest reason why this team can can stay in the race, in my opinion. If they can get something out of Mali this year, that can work as well too. But they're gonna have to find something on that back end on days four and five. Way Miley is decent, but you know Michael Lorenzen has been helter skelter, and he. But one thing about Michael Lorenzen is there's something about him that has kept him on this team for a long time as well, too. So well, he can hit. He, a very he can hit a little bit. Lorenzen's got a stick, hit, and so. he's also um, looks good in that uniform like a bodybuilder. Right. So that's more of, I think, a fan favorite type of situation yep. for, keeping him, for keeping him around. But a guy that I think could be a good player for them next year, former Dodger Kyle Farmer. He could be decent for him at the shortstop, second base position. And they need to, they really, really do need to figure out a way to be consistent when it comes to uh, the, the hidden portion of, of this team. You know, Joey Votto, I feel like if they're not that good this year, then the Reds can go off and probably go ahead and move Joey Votto finally to a team. I like got into an argument with a CBS uh, a baseball writer um, on Twitter, uh, maybe about six months or a year ago, or something like that. He was trying to convince me that Joey Votto was better than Tony Gwynn, but we'll save that silly debate for another day. We only got a couple of minutes left here, so let's talk about the other contender, the St. Louis Cardinals. It seems like, regardless of what roster they put out, guys, they're always competitive. And this is the type of team that has proven that they could basically go 500 and win a World Series. Um, but hey, look, uh, their, their rotation is, is good. I wouldn't say it's great, but Flaherty is good. Kim's good. Uh, Miles Mikolas, if he can repeat from the year before, is really good. Adam Wainwright kind of found his old form last year. Carlos Martinez, they're bringing him out of the bullpen and into the starting rotation. Uh, the lineup is good, and now or I should say was good, now it's enhanced with Nolan Arenado. I think the key to this, guys, and Gina, we'll start with you, 
is Nolan Arenado great outside of Colorado for a full season? Yeah, he he's going to help. So they they feel like the only team of them that we talked about that could have gotten significantly better with the addition of Arenado. You put him in the middle of the lineup with Goldschmidt, and that's a that's a pretty strong punch right there. DeJong kind of goes hot and cold, but he's very capable. Um, and, and then you never know really what you're going to get from someone like a Matt Carpenter. So uh, they do have a legitimate top-of-the-line starting pitcher in Flaherty. The rest of their rotation is probably like a bunch of number three, four starters. Um, so th- they're as solid and probably have fewer holes in my opinion than the other teams in the division that we've talked about. So, and, and that does spell out by like some of their projections and stuff because their, uh, their win total, I believe is like 86 and a half. And the other teams in the league, in the division are like 82 and a half and like right around 80. Yeah. It seems like they always have like a really stud little guy in the infield, like a X from a few years ago who they got mm-hmm. from the angels. Uh, they got Tommy Edmond, who is a yep. pac 12 guy, very high on him. Stanford guy. Came in uh, two years ago and stole a lot of bases, hit some home runs. Um, I wouldn't say duplicated the effort last year, but I'm going to put a big scratch, big line through 2020 in terms of stats, especially when it pertains to fantasy baseball and any projections. Uh, we've got a minute left. Do either of you guys have anything uh, positive about the Pirates for 2021? What say you, Pop? Pirates. Positivity about the Pirates next year. Positivity comes in the name of Greg Polanco. <laughs> Greg Polanco could be the brightest spot on the uh, Pirates team next year because he's projected to hit the most home runs next season. But that's about it. Don't even have it's tough when you lose your best hitter. In, next year. Well, yeah, it's tough when you lose your best hitter in Josh Bell. So uh, that they can even hang their head on that. They do have a hot shot rookie, Brian Hayes. We'll see if he can come in and get some rookie of the year votes. Maybe uh, hit some home runs and hit for an average because I don't think he's going to get a lot of RBIs in that week lineup. That's all the time we have for today. We got through the NL Central. To all our listeners, we're still going to do our projections and our prediction show. This is just to go over division by division. We'll do the NL West ne- next week. Thank you for listening as always. Hope that Golden Gate can come back running, and we'll see you same time, same place next weekend. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.